Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we are here today to talk the Judging Eye, chapters 5 through 9, doing four chapters at a time. It's my first time reading the Aspect Emperor series, and I am here today with Ken Rita and Daniel. Daniel, will you kick us off with an introduction? I'm Daniel, and I am having a good time reading this series with Steve, who has never read it, and Katarina, who we're going to catch up to in the next month or two. And I have read far more than them, but not as not as far as I should. And I'm Katarina. As Daniel said, I've read The Judging Eye once before. Um... And I am dreading the moment where I'm in the same position as Steve, completely oblivious to everything that's happening or going to happen. But I've been, I think The Judging Eye is, I would say it's one of my favorite books in the series. It is very slow. Like it moves at a slow pace, but it keeps moving. Like there's always something happening, something pushing it forward which is something I, which is something I appreciate about the book hmm. I'm glad you said that because I felt like these last I think the first four chapters um, they weren't like action-packed or anything but they seemed like they flowed really well these these last four were kind of slow slower than normal than I was accustomed to with the series what did you guys think We've been kind of at a standstill the last four chapters, it seems like. Where not a lot of action has taken place. The first four chapters, there was a battle, I guess. These chapters, some people died, but... I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that way. Um, hmm. I mean, I'm not saying this is like an this, these four chapters were like action packed or anything. I guess I said I like it is a slow book. I think it's one of the, probably one of the slowest books that we read so far. Um, but I mean, certainly a and walked a lot in the two <laughs> chapters we had with him, and uh, we learned we we got some insight into the the little devil Kim Lomas. And uh, we, I mean, well, may, I don't know, maybe you could say nothing happened with Sorwheel, but there was some revelation with Yatwer and the, the slave and the role that he's going to play or that the, um, that Callus wants him to play in the Great Ordeal, which I think are maybe not the most exciting things to happen to a character, but I think they are still very important for what's going to happen later, if anything. We got introduced to a lot in these four chapters, for sure. Like the whole Yatwer cult and all of that. And I guess you finally see a non-man again for the first time. So there's some interesting parts that have started in these first four chapters. That's why I was thinking maybe the next four will be more exciting. <laughs> and Katarina it's, it's says the last four going. definitely are. Yeah, I I, I, th I think you'll probably agree with me, Daniel. Like, the ending to this book is quite intense. Hmm. 
but I, I don't want to get your expectations too um too high steve like you know so that you're not disappointed when we when we finish this book no it, it does feel like we're building like we're kind of building up to something um, kind of like bringing people in and uh, kilomas was uh is that <coughs> excuse me that's how you pronounce his name um who knows <laughs> Kel. Just call Kel. him Kel. No. Kel and uh, Sammy. Kel and Sammy. Kel encouraging Sammy to he was like doing a handstand on the on the balcony or on the like the railing. And um he of course he falls to his death. And that whole that whole section was pretty pretty dark. But I mean I, I guess what can you expect from an offspring of Kellis without the, the training and the um, the attention that someone like that would need to hone their skills and to, I don't want to see, Kellis abuses them, but to not, uh, to I guess, maybe not even use them responsibly, but just a child with those kind of abilities is, is I mean, how what would they do? What would a child do with those kind of, that kind of outlook or that kind of uh, mindset? Yes, but then you don't, I don't think you see the other children going around and killing their siblings by putting olive oil on the railing. And I don't think any of, well, we don't know, but it doesn't seem like any of the other siblings are hearing a voice that's telling them to uh, basically isolate them, their mother and kill or remove everyone who might threaten um, their relationship. Her only love remaining. <laughs> yeah, he's a interesting little kid that neglected Dunyan. Mm. Rampant Dunyan intellect, but unlike Kellis, he seems to have a strong attachment, at least to one person. Mm. Kellis doesn't seem to have attachments to humans like little Kel does, and Theliopa can't look people in the eyes, and she stutters. All of his children appear like they might be broke to varying degrees, in varying directions. I wonder how much of this would, because of, uh, you know, the mother, him having a mother, and is that but what would Kellis have done? Um, but yeah, I'm sorry, Katarina, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it, it does seem like each of the children deals with their Dunyan inheritance in different ways. Like you talked about Thelio, is her name Theliopia? Theli? I think Theli call it Theli, right? Um, Calmomus, obviously, but also we learned a little bit about Enreladus in the previous four chapters. Um, and it, it does make sense that if you don't, if they don't have the same training as Callus does, that they might go crazy or whatever, whatever it is that Calmomus is. The other one, Caiutis, seems the most normal out of them all at this point, but he's like the oldest and had the most time to be developed, I guess. 
he Maybe. seems he seems like the one who's most in control of his abilities yeah maybe the most like his uncle the most Mathenet-ish. but then it makes you wonder about Moengas, who doesn't have do any do name blood but has grown up with these children and has had Esmenet as his mother and, and Kallus as his father. But he also doesn't strike as completely uh, normal, balanced individual to me. His crazy brother said he was, be careful because he's crazy. He's quite mad, yeah. I love that, that we kind of, he's like this little, uh, little noir, like this little monster running around. I would imagine what he's like. And I, I thought it's interesting that they they took him in as a son when he was he's neither of their son, but they still take him in as a son. Like they seems like they raise him in the family. In the last series, Esmanet talks about how that's like her last connection to Sarway. So it's equally her kid. Mm-hmm. So whether it's Kellis's decision or not, it's still in the air currently you know if, if they if and if they want strong children with good genetic material then Nayor's son probably you know like he is like we know that Nayor is in was is was intelligent and like physically strong that that's probably something that you could use in a child of your own as well Something tells me many of those children won't make it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what 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 would a little Kellis do? I mean, how much damage can a little Kellis, without the training and control, what would they do to everyone else around them? And can they be stopped? Who knows? Who knows? To what degree is Sammy dead currently? Do either wonder, of you guys have a guess? I wondered that because it didn't. I have a hard time believing that would kill him. Maybe not forever, but um, yeah, I wasn't sure about that if that was really the end. Because with Kellis on the grid ordeal, he may know something that Esmenet doesn't know about how much damage they can take or kind of what they can endure physically. So maybe there's something that can be done for him or something that will just happen naturally for him. I may not have seen the I guess, of him. I guess it depends. Is is Sammy the body of of Sammy or is he uh is he the voice that uh, Kalmomas is hearing? That that was my metaphysical question right there. Oh. To what degree is Sammy really dead? Cuz at the end of that chapter, he says, why did you take so long to, to, to kill me? Yeah, it That's is what a bit the voice confusing. in it said, said, why did you take so long to finally kill me? So I, I got a little bit confused because at one point, I think Kelmomus says that he is basically a one, he's basically one soul born into two bodies. But then he is Kalmumas and he's listening, he's hearing Sammy's voice. So 
it seems like there are two souls or two consciousnesses inside Kalmomas. So I, I wonder which it is, and I, I don't really have any idea. Guess we'll find out. I hope so. I'm very curious. The weird, the part where they like stared into each other's eyes forever <laughs> until the guy finally broke him of it kind of makes it sound like they're conjoined twins, but not conjoined in the physical way, maybe. So here's another question. Does do conjoined twins have two souls or one soul in real life, in this world? Does it matter where they're conjoined at? Does that separate the soul if they're not conjoined at the brain and they have two separate speaking brains? Is that two souls? I don't know the answers, just strange questions. You've thrown me in, into an existential spiral now. <laughs> Am I one person? Was I maybe two people at, the, at one point? I don't know. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> and then we also met Satma Nana. What did you think of her, Anafari? That's the uh, the cult's uh, woman in the cult, right? Yeah, I think they call her like the priestess mother or the what is it? She's got a couple names. I, I'm not sure exactly, but oh. she's like she's mm -hmm. the uh, actual leader of the cult of Yadwer, right? Yeah. yeah. The title that's like been banned. She's the Mother Supreme. Yeah. And the Shri had like removed that title 16 years ago and they did it in secret, they said. Yeah. It makes sense. It's the Mother Supreme. So, Yeth, Yethway, or Yethway is that's, I have to check the index, but the, or the appendix, but that's, uh, was it like nature and fertility? Is that, their kind of their um, their cult, their belief system. Yeah, the goddess of earth and fertility. Earth and fertility, right? Favored I think by slaves and menial workers, meaning that the most followers, since the upper class is fewer and the lower class is more. I think it was here when, at least when I read the book for the first time, where I kind of had to re-evaluate how I think about religion or just gods in general in within this world. Because up until that point, um, and I think I've talked about it before, but up until then, I just assumed that the gods weren't real. I wasn't even sure if the the god, the the one solitary god, was real. Um, it seemed 
Because I think in the Prince of Nothing, it just seems like religion is just a pretense that people use to get power. Like the, it was there were, was very little evidence for me to believe that you know the gods existed and they had, they actually played a role in the world. Or and I don't think they even like they don't even mention um the the hundred gods very often anyway. So it wasn't until we met the the Mother Supreme. Um, that I realized that the gods probably exist and uh, they have large following in this world and they seem to have some influence over over the events um, that take place. I think this is where we like see actual religious people, whereas the first three books, Mate Matt was Telus's uncle and he had overthrown that or he's Telus's brother's half brother half. right and he had overthrown the church for Dunyane and so it makes it appear like maybe religion just is a tool but they do talk about the outside and definitely according to sorcerers you can you can be damned and it's a real thing seeing the mark is somehow part of it but until basically until yatwer makes that girl just walk into the ether there's no like actual proof of gods at least to me up till this point but when a girl disappears like a pitcher into the void then it seemed like even all the cultists' followers, that's like the first time they actually believed in the mother that they worshipped. And this is the first mention in the series of the White Luck Warrior, right? I don't think I've, and I know the title, I've heard of the title before, but I think this is the first time they mentioned it in the books. Yeah, even of White Luck being like the opposite of like the religious counter to luck yeah i didn't i didn't quite understand it's like what what exactly is white luck supposed to mean like how is it different from normal regular luck normal regular luck is not dependent on god's intervention what white luck mm -hmm would be like in the Malazan when they choose someone to manipulate to their ends or make them do something. But it doesn't occur all at once, it, it says. It happens over time. I see. <laughs> and, uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I was a little bit confused with the white luck warrior if that was a, a person or if that was someone who's chosen because it uh on page 119 tell them the white luck turns against their glorious aspect emperor tell them the mother sends her son or that what's or that would see them dead so i wasn't sure if it was a, a person who's like you know someone who's chosen or if that's like a deity of some kind well, whatever the Mother Supreme is, this would be, I think she called it her brother. 
so the brother of Tatsuma Nanaferi. In what sense, who knows? Yeah, I, I, the way I think about it is that white luck is a concept that exists, but then you can sort of, you can maybe you can use a person to make it real. Like maybe the gods can use someone as a vessel. Or something we don't know exactly what the gods are capable of yet here yeah. they're only referred to in numerous vague ways i feel like i said everyone is a piece of like the mirror of god a broken fragment of god's eyes but then also they say that god is blind to tell us so that might be why that he's trying to kill him right now because he just doesn't understand so god's abilities or the hundred god's abilities is still an unknown variable there's also mentioned i think it was um methanet or i think it was methanet who said the hundred could be at war with god so there could be which is interesting because I think according to um, the Inarithi faith, the hundred gods are like aspects of the single god, if I understood it correctly. So how, how could you like, how could the god be at war with him or themselves? What if one of those gods was the one god's uh, jealousy and another one was god's like opposite of jealousy wouldn't they be at, at war with each other basically what i'm saying is we're all at war with each other in our own heads all day long so what makes god different yeah well we, I th we've met a we've met a couple of well, we're not, we have not met any gods, but we've heard about a couple of gods, right? So we've heard about, I think, Fortune, um, War, Gilgiel. Um, there is the, what, what, what was the goddess that Enrau worshipped? It's like Oinkis or something. I think it was something like that. I think Mo Momus is the god of seas or something like that. But Yatwer seems to be the most powerful that we've met so far. Largely, probably because he had because she has such a such a huge following. Why are you, why are you laughing uh, at me, Steve? I, I'm no, I'm laughing because the faces that Daniel's making as you're talking, because he's trying. I can tell that he's trying to. He's trying to choose his words carefully here. That he doesn't want to spoil it for us. Well, Kat Katarina is right that Gatwer was being worshipped all the way in Marrow. It's being worshipped where the great ordeal is taking place by the slaves. It is the biggest religion for sure. Yeah. And assuming that 
Mishrai is a fraud, which would make maybe his religion somewhat fraudulent, whereas Petsmanenaferi is the opposite of a fraud. Maybe her religion could be less fraudulent. I've seen proof of yet where I haven't seen proof of the solitary god at this point. Hmm. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, if she if she is one aspect of of the of the solitary god, then you kind of have seen it through her, maybe. But then, uh, I mean, the well, the, the I mean, the whole, the entire holy war was at least on the surface of an argument about whether there is a solitary god or not really. So, well, I guess I mean, I guess well, you can at least say that the Phantom are wrong because they, um, they, I think they only they say that there there is only the solitary god. And that I don't know if I don't know if they believe that the the other gods they don't exist or if you just shouldn't they should not be worshipped. Uh, but but seem it seems to me like the Enrithi at least got parts of it right. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not actually convinced it matters at all. I would concur. And you only named like eight of the 100 gods. There's some other interesting names in there that we've heard lots. One we've heard the most that you didn't mention, but I won't mention it. Hmm. Now I'm curious. Who did I forget? The one... Uh, the one that uh Kel Momus was playing with the beetle with. Oh the the thief was I think he called him the the four the four horn brother or something. Hmm. I'm actually more confused now than I was before because I don't rem remember him ever being mentioned apart from that one single theme. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see what's going on. Okay, I'll have to pay attention. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm wondering that too. Um, also, uh, Saswatha so becomes a Kamian during one of their their sequences, and um, Kamian is referred to as a prophet of the past, which I thought was pretty fitting for him. Uh, what did you both think of the this the couple of chapters we had with the Kamian, the Kamian? Well. Um, it was interesting to see the Kamian among people again, if you can call the, the scalpers people. Um, 
and I mean, it was it, I, I, what I liked about those chapters was how he kind of real. He was kind of realizing how much he missed the human contact. Like it took him a while to get used to being around people anymore, but also like he kind of realizes towards the end that he doesn't like he is he's changed. Like he does not care about people anymore, at least not as much as he did. Um, during the the first holy war, I think there, there there's there's like one part where he's like he's talking about he's thinking about all these men that he has just hired to um, to join him on the on the adventure to find the coffers, and then he's basically saying he says something like um, he doesn't care how many how many of them will die as long as he as long as he gets to um, he as long as he gets to Ishwal. Um, and I'm not sure that that's something that I don't think that's something that um, the Akamian we knew 20 years ago would have said. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. That's all true. <clears throat> and he's also like when he's before he's even in Marrow, he's thinking about how he doesn't miss like what his slaves did for him. He missed his slaves. The people. I, I still find it peculiar that he's this hermit, but he also has slaves. You know, I like think it was he, a he, he, he was a family, right, or like a certain circle of people that he had. Is that? Yeah, it was a family. I think. He, I think he just. I think he started out with uh, the man. I don't remember his name. And then I guess he, his slave got married, and then they had children. But you know, like in my mind, like when he walks off at the end of the thousandfold thought into the wilderness to live this solitary life, and then you find out, oh, he actually has someone to cook for him and maybe clean his apartment for him. Yeah, that's true. It's, it was an interesting 20 years for Akami, and I don't think anyone who read the first series was expecting his next 20 years to go like they went. And I kind of thought he had bought another slave for his first slave, mm. and then they got married and started having kids, and now it's just like his kind of second family. He calls them a slave still, but they're not really a slaves. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe you're right. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he did purchase the his the wife for him. But from what I remembered, I think they just got they just met somewhere and got married. But I might be wrong. I, I don't actually remember the details of that relationship. Regardless, he just gave him a house. He said he's never coming back. <laughs> That's so he true. Didn't, he didn't keep his slaves. He let them all go. Maybe he's feeding them to the wolves, like Mara was feeding her horse to the wolves. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder how are they going to fend themselves off against the. Uh... The scalpers and and the strang and all the uh, wild animals. 
in the woods around them. No, but hopefully they'll be fine. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it will be. Um, that that section was it was kind of weird. Kamian uh, seems like he's obsessed with revenge, and um, so the kids consumed him. He's not the same person he was. Um, but the the skin eaters, I kind of felt like it reminded him of the first holy or the holy war, and that's why he doesn't seem to have a lot of sympathy for them like it but it seemed but it seemed like toward like when he spent more time with them he was around the fire and he, he was eating with them he kind of had that camaraderie that he didn't have for 20 years that he was kind of um you know he realized that he missed the uh the the social social aspects a little bit but yeah i may i'm not sure if i would call it camaraderie at this point, like he still, it seemed to me like he's still quite, I, I don't think he trusts them is my point. And they certainly don't trust each other. Like they don't, they know not to rely on each other. Um, but he, I think he does make an exception for Mimera um, when she shows up for like for one for some reason whatever that is um he seems to want to protect her from these men and does i mean i mean he if he wanted to he could just leave her lock you know tied to a tree somewhere or you know kill her on the spot if he wanted to um, if he did not want her to um, jeopardize his uh, his mission, but he doesn't do that. I kind of think even at one point he was coming to like the the bitten. I think that's what they were called. The other group that's with the skin eaters, and at the same time, he knows he like basically put all of these people to death for a lie so can't be friends with them otherwise he'll betray himself kind of, if that makes sense because he's kind of a weeper just like Nair. <laughs> <laughs> there was one <clears throat> excuse me there was one little thing i don't i don't know if this is anything but when when the skinnier when the one of the skinnier skin eaters was introducing himself he said my name is sorrow and a commune interrupted him and you kind of wanted to get down to business and from there on he's referred to as sorrow s-a-r-l but i think there's more to that name because he interrupted him when he was speaking so he didn't get to finish saying his name he's never referred to as anyone else any of the people or ever ever refer to him but whenever we hear a Kamian's uh, whenever a Kamian thinks about it, it's always Sorrel. There's more to that name. A little too close to Sarcellus for me. As in, I, did, I didn't catch that little detail. So um, I'm curious to see if you're right or not. It may be nothing, but a little peculiar. He, he definitely is a character. Mm -hmm. Um. 
what what did you th what was your impression of the of the captain and uh, what did you think of our well it's not the first non-man non-man that we've met but um probably the one we've spent the longest time with so far so what, what did you think about this uh this these two people. I think they, they probably know more than Kamian thinks they do. And um, I think they both think they're kind of getting over on each other, but they're, <laughs> they both have their own, uh, their own ideas. Did you, did, did you catch what they, uh, what they call the captain or like what his, what his nickname is? I didn't. He got it from Kellis, directly from Kellis. Not sure we've learned that yet, have we? It, yeah, it said. It said okay. it was named named that by the Aspect Emperor. So. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it does. Say okay, that. okay. Yeah. Iron yeah. Soul. And they call him Iron Soul, which incidentally is uh, also the man well there's also a man in the prologue who was referred to as iron soul hmm. in the prologue who is also the a sculptor yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. that prologue i'm telling you yeah you know maybe may, maybe we should go back and reread the prologue again So the we were talking. Uh, was anything else about uh, Akamian before we talk about what I was confused about? We talked a little bit about it. But... I want to know: Did you catch when Nimara showed back up? Any change in writing this time? Hmm. I didn't. Because there's a part where instead of it saying like Sarl said in quotes, it says Sarl says, and it says what he says just in the paragraph. Hmm. The perspective shift. I didn't catch that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think, I think we, I think we mentioned it the last time, right? That all her, all her POV um, scenes hmm. are written in in the present tense. Right. I still find it bizarre, but apparently, I, I'm the only one who is who's bothered by it. I definitely <laughs> notice it but it doesn't bother me so much. Initially, it's jarring, but Steve doesn't even notice it, which must mean he does a really good job at writing. <laughs> Normally, I... some switching perspectives like that would just ruin a book almost, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, there... Well, I, mean, I wonder if we should bring it up now or maybe in maybe in the next episode the fact that you know, you know about the fact that the the canyon got snowed in and they'll ha they'll have to take another route i don't know well we'll just talk about that they have to take another route through something that the non-men remembers and no one else but we've also learned that the non-men mem memory is something left to be debated 
like he doesn't remember almost anywhere he's ever been it seems like except for this hole. one place yeah. somehow and the slaughter of children maybe think of the uh, the last section of uh warrior prophet but if you if you all of a sudden were just a, lived 1500 years what what would your memory be like just out of curiosity would you be able to recollect 1400 years ago easy 100 years ago easy would you recollect your first wife that got murdered your 15th wife that you murdered it's got dark really quick yeah i like the trajectory of this Yeah, I, I, I doubt I doubt so. Uh, I barely remember what I what I did this week. Um, and I only seem to remember, you know, specific things. Usually, usually the bad stuff, more than the good stuff. This is, this is seems to be true with most people. That trauma is the most memorable. It's also something that we can create a dark spot in our brain through, though, right? We can like block it out until it all comes back. Yeah. So I guess I would probably remember murdering my wife, my 15th wife. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a strong memory. A memorable event. Well, unless you murdered every wife since then, then it's like a hundred wives ago. I forget true maybe that's the best way to remember though you you will remember you maybe murdered someone or one of your wife yeah maybe maybe the one you like the most maybe you remember that one but the rest of them kind of fades into memory when i think of like lord of the rings the elves they don't seem to suffer with their memories And if these are our version of elves, since they live so long and they're pale white and magic users, then they're a little bit different than your standard fantasy elf. But either way, I'm, I, I find it very fascinating and I'm, I'm curious to learn more about the non-men and especially about, uh, uh, what did he call himself? I don't remember. The cleric. Corey, I think he might have said his name was, and Akamian said he didn't remember it. Yeah, maybe something like in, in Corioral or in, in Carrier. I, yeah. I got it mixed up with the Inkorai. Yeah, me too. In Carriol might be right. But how many names does, did Mathenet have when he died? He had at least that we know or I mean Moingus had at least two names that we know of right how old does someone who's 1500 years like how many names might they have yeah probably more than one Lord Kassadar seems like he might have more names than that in Iron Soul but who knows yet he seems like a menacing figure 
I'm scared of him. Like just, you know, just, just like knowing that he's present and it, it, I get goosebumps. He's, um, he just gives this vibe of like incredibly cruel, someone who's incredibly cruel and completely lacking compassion and would kill you in a, in a wink of eye just wouldn't care. Somewhere it said for a man to like have a non-man magi under him is rare and it means that somehow he's special. It takes more than a man to control a non-man magi. And Kasoder seems to have cleric like un under him. Yeah. Well, I guess the interesting part for me is that he allows Maimara to join the Slav, which is maybe some not something I would expect from him. Yeah, you know, given, given how the, he... the rules of the Slav, where if your own brother dies, you just the only rule is steal his shoes if they fit. Don't bury <laughs> him. Keep moving. It seems like the slog's rules are somewhat Dunyane-ish, remorseless. There's not a, a, a lot of empathy there, but for some reason, Kasader did kill one of his own men who tried to take advantage of Namara. So her being there, I think, is against the rules of slog. I don't think but it did say what she has to bear the weight of a man or I think it's to was she has to bear the weight like a man or she'll wear the weight of of the man. <laughs> yeah. It was bad. It's not gonna be good for her. Yeah. But you you, you do have to uh you have you you have to uh, admire her determination. Because I think most most people probably have just given up a long time ago. But she just she keeps coming back and she keeps following a in. She definitely doesn't want to go home. Well, I mean, what is home for her? Yeah, it's where her mom tries to make up for all of the horrible things that have happened to her that she doesn't know about. which is basically them dressing her up <clears throat> just like her mother and taking advantage of her. Yeah. I, I guess you could say she's more running away from things than running towards something. And, and, and this, this idea or illusion or fantasy that Akamian is going to teach her the gnosis and she's going to become a witch and that that somehow will give her control over her life it's it's that that's what's been fueling her but i mean as Akamian said it like he he's not he's not planning on coming back from Mishwal. like it's one way journey for him
I mean, I would you want to go live with them with team with family Kellis and I bet it's really cozy holidays and with all those kids running around and where else does she have to go? Yeah. If I lived in this world and I walked one direction for a year, I I probably wouldn't ever walk back. A, a year of walking sounds like more than I want to do. And then to do it twice just to go back to the same place we were seems crazy. They called it what a, a slog is like one tenth of this. This is a ten times a normal slog to the scalpoy. Did anyone else pick up some Lord of the Rings vibes from that whole? We have to take a different route through the black hall. Where yeah, because you you, you did pick up on it. I wasn't sure if we were gonna bring it up, but yeah, totally. Yeah. It could get more or less Lord of the Rings by in the next couple hundred pages. I definitely feel like this book is written different, less like less like revelation and more like a happening story. Hmm. The first series was like scripture, like revelation. It was happening, but the way it was written was like it had already happened almost. Where in this book, there's lots more detail of the travel and of the surroundings and less scriptural word, I guess, less dense words. That, that's really, that's a really good way to put it. I, I did try to think about it as well. Um, and for me, the difference, the way I thought about the difference between the, the first series and, and this one was that I feel like Prince of Nothing focuses maybe a little bit more on, on the characters and like on the psychology of the characters. Whereas uh, the um, Aspect Emperor feels like it's more about it's more about the story and about like where they're going and what how they're going to, going to get there and what's going to happen once they get there. Um, whereas the Prince of Nothing, the destination maybe didn't feel as important. Uh, but what you said about like being revelation and the it be more about like revelations in the first first trilogy and about sort of things that might have already happened and this being more about, more about things happening that actually that, that that explains a lot better than than what I thought of so that's I really like that comparison yeah this is all new so it's written like it's happening more so I'm not sure if if I miss something which happens often but the storks I was a little bit confused about Because they they were they had some some um, like some cattle or some sheep that were following for food and they would have to go out and hunt game because they didn't have enough of it. But why not just kill some of those storks and have that as a food source? That's what I was confused. But I probably missed something and it's frustrating me. But they well, the cattle are north of them right now. They just sent the cattle into the wild green yonder and. 
they're not having to spread out for food yet, but it talked about at some point they're going to run out of all these cattle and their food lines are going to run out and they're going to have to spread out looking for food and that mm. might be what dooms the holy war. So the less looking for food, the better off they might be. Also, the storks are sacred for the Sakarpi and Kellis wants to get the, the city of Sakarpas on his side. So by eating all their all their sacred birds, you would probably piss them off. So you, you might not want to do that. Um, but I mean, if I don't, I mean, have you ever seen a stork? I don't think there's much meat on a stork anyway. It's something. I shot a squirrel when I was a kid, and my dad made me eat it. So. What? <laughs> there's meat on all animals, big and small. Well, I mean, it's if you're hungry. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, I really like the storks, so I, I would I would be very sad if um, if they decided. To, but it was one of the funniest. I think that was the one moment where I laughed during these these chapters. I think where they mentioned there was um, um, I think it was a canine person who like he killed like a couple of the storks and then used the feather to make pillows. And I could so relate to him because. You know, imagine you come from all the way from Kian to like Sakarpus and it's like really cold and you want to like warm yourself up and like, you know, like the, you know, they make like pillows and blankets, but like stuff with feathers and they're like super warm. And I was like, I totally get you where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh. And then that came swirling down for that guy. Yeah. I think they flayed him alive. Yeah. Publicly. Yeah. For a pillow. Less, yeah. less storks died after that, though. It sends a message. I thought it was interesting, like, at the same time they were taking over the city in the last chapters, they were out, like, building the city outwards. Like, at the same time the war was happening, there's people on the outskirts of the city building houses and building a secondary city because they have that many people. I think they yeah. even built a road all the way down to the nearest settlement, like in, in a short amount of time. It did seem like there was, you know, as, as much as it was like an external conquest, there was also some form of like infiltration that happened even before the, the Great Ordeal reached the city. Like if they already started like, you know, moving people to Sakarpas and having them like build houses. And all the Scalpoi are doing have been trying to kill as much strength as they can and keep them moving northwards, keep expanding the civilized settlements into the savage lands. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of logistics for uh, how, how many do they say they have like 280,000 people yeah, marching on Golgar on Golg I can't say it Golgaroth. It's a, it's a tough one. I also thought it was interesting. They talked about the city and how 
it had withstood the no god. Like there's a part where he's looking at the wall that got torn down and he's like that that has been there since the no god. Not even the no god could get through it, but Kellis just walked over it and took over the whole city. So maybe he's more than a no god and he's thinking about how he brought all these different groups of people together and just like squished them all into each other. It's kind of like America. It's the closest thing this book could have to America. People of all different races all just together for one purpose. So what is the American equivalent of Kellis? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We have we haven't we haven't hit that yet. I'll tell you when America gets destroyed who it was though. If I'm still alive. Okay. Sounds good. Not not that I'm wishing for you to get destroyed, of course. I would say Nikola Tesla, but he was mostly just weird. Not so much socially powerful. Well, he also created light. <laughs> It's true. But he was in love, though. He loved the bird. I don't know if Kellis is capable of love. Well, he saved the stork, so that's something. So the uh, the great ordeal and the greater and I know we didn't. I, I don't want to read another whole book about gathering the great ordeal again because we already did that with the holy war. But it seems kind of like it doesn't have the same impact as the holy war did for me anyway doesn't seem as um as like big and epic and like meaningful just because um it's we're in the middle of it now or we're about to head into the frontiers uh, beyond the frontiers of man but something's about to happen hopefully i sorry go ahead i think that's like i was saying there's just less revelation in this There's no real political intrigue at this point of like people figuring things out and like making last minute plans and trying to deceive each other. And then they all lose to some unforeseen thing they didn't know about. All of, all of those doubts seem to have been already eaten these past 20 years in the unification wars that we don't hear about. And now we're just getting the march of the holy war without the inner turmoil at this point hmm. oh yes isn't fighting against kellis saban isn't fighting against kellis king saban exalt general yeah you just have to rub it in <laughs> but I, i i would agree with you that in that uh the great ordeals is much much better organized than the than the holy war ever was and um Kellis has everything and everyone under control so it does make sense that we don't get any of the uh, the politicking and the backstabbing and people trying to get control over the over the um the host over the army um what 
that makes I do agree with you, Steve. It makes it more boring as well because of that. I think I think the boringness might be going away soon. <laughs> yeah, I think not. once maybe once they uh once they split into uh uh the different foraging parties. You know, things might get more interesting. Callus probably can be in in several places at once. Though, you know, considering how skilled he is with magic, he might. Who knows? And this book also has kind of like the original darkness that comes before. We're all spread out. Whereas the end of that series everyone comes together and everyone's on the holy war or close to it this book has people like has esmet all the way in the capital city has akamian out in some outskirts town far away from everything and the great ordeal so there's big jumps in geography and less connection i guess We didn't talk about um, Pat's and Anna Fairy kills the, the witch, the Swale witch spy, I guess. So somehow she knew it was a spy. Somehow they were able to get the spy in there and make it seem like it was someone else. Yeah, it's kind of like a skin spy, but a magical one. Which had only been done once, right? When they mandate caught the guy. <clears throat> when the mandate caught the skin spy, he was a mandate and so he knew magic and he could, hmm. he could use it but they said he was like a freak they could never replicate him that's right yeah. but I I just assumed that this spy this woman was sent there by uh, by the empire by Esmanet just to spy on the Yatwer cult I don't, I, I, I don't. I don't think they they were sent by the consult, or or am I wrong? No, judging by the talk that um, Esmnet was having with the Shry when the little kids were playing at the at the peak of the whatever, they were talking about how they had had their informant get caught and what they should do about it. So it mm. appears like it was one of theirs. Yeah, there's there's also a connection between Yatwer and Sorwil. Um, he gets his so Sorwil gets his new slave from gifted to him by Kyudas. Yeah, and it seems that well, the slave has some sort of connection to Yatwer, or he, he at least worships. Yatwer. 
Um, and then he, I think he, he like touches, he touches Sorwheel and he says something about, something about the goddess. And Sorwheel gets burned and it's all very strange and mysterious. Yeah, somehow his tear burns him. I think he like opens his palm and kisses his palm and then drops a tear into it. And then later he can he like feels the burn in his palm. And he, he says something to him in shake, I think. At the very end. War. This is war. Which is surprising because I think Yatwar is like the opposite of war. Like, you know, like she's the goddess of, of giving. Whereas hmm. war, I guess, would be all about like taking. But we did just find out that Patsanana Ferry is going to war. Basically, like declared war against the Aspect Emperor. Yeah, but she said her brother or her 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 brother, I think, would take care of that. So it's not necessarily like she's she's going to war herself. <clears throat> yeah, the god is going to war against Kellis, or maybe SMA, someone. The goddess going for against what they consider to be too powerful. Well, I guess we'll see. We haven't we haven't got anything except a tear that burned and some lady that wa walked into the ether and disappeared. Yeah, but just on a um, more. Let, let, less spiritual spiritual note i i really like the how the dilemma that Sorwheel is facing how that's portrayed like how he's um you, you can you kind of get the sense that like he's like a good kid and he wants to be a good king to his people but then he just I don't know if he lacks the courage because, like, honestly, I don't know like how anyone how I don't think I would act it I would act any differently than he does in this situation. Um, but he, he he doesn't have the courage and he doesn't have the means to resist to the Aspen Emperor, and it's it's kind of killing him inside to that know that he kind of has to bear this shame in front of all his people and have this like strange relationship with the Athlete Emperor where like on one hand he hates him because he's the one who conquered his people but then also seems to almost almost like admire them or admire the Kellis and admire his family and his sons or at least like he's scared of it's it's I don't know it's like it's really I really like the portrayal of that and it, it does feel very nuanced and it, it does feel like it feels like a reaction that like a normal person would have in the position where he that he is in 
Akid. He's one of the kid perspectives we get. And yeah, he, I think his religion is basically says that shrink are the worst and that they need to be destroyed and that the no God is coming. And so Kellis is doing all the things that like their gods would want him to do. So part of him thinks that maybe like he is the good guy, but then he also remembers the times when he's thinking about believing Kellis the most. He remembers what his dad said, that he's just ciphering, came to ruin the world. And he's the only person that can stop him somehow. Hmm. And he has no idea how. Yeah, I think the hardest part for me to read was when he's, I think he's being led to the encampment and he, he crosses paths with the, the boy he saw on the walls that the night that Sicarpus was conquered. And he's like, and he's imagining that, you know, he, He's him, 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 he's imagining himself helping the kid, and then he just does, he doesn't do anything because that's probably the more reasonable thing to do. And it gives you a little bit of sense. He's, I mean, they like Callus so far from what we've seen has, tr has treated Sir Wheel very, very nicely. Like, he's not been hurt, he's been baby sort of promoted like giving this honor of, of joining the the Kidru heel um so like you you have like i at least i had this like idea that you know they're just treating everyone in sarcarpus really nicely and then you, you you'll see this kid that obviously has been tortured um and who who knows what else they what what else they did to him so it put things it puts things in a in a perspective. For sure. I think they said he joined the Scion of Princes too, which is like a the group of all the conquered princesses princes Kellis has got along the way through the unification wars. So every time he conquers a city he just takes the eldest son and makes him go with his two sons and they all become a big tribe together. So now Cayutus is sort of general, it says, and all of the people serving under him are all just old princes that have been taken in. Yeah, it seems, it seems like maybe not the safest thing to do put all your enemies into one uh like one body of soldiers and like i don't know well i guess we'll see we'll probably get to know some of them in the next couple of chapters <laughs> we'll see we have got a lot of new characters these first 200 pages we got the 
skin eaters, the bitten, the <clears throat> Yatwer religion, all of Kellis's offspring, whatever they are. Whatever they are. Yeah, I, I, I do want to know. But it's still, I don't think it feel. It doesn't feel as overwhelming as um, the darkness that comes before. Maybe because we already know parts of the world. Um, but it, it just it feels manageable to me, at least. It feels a little bit more focused. A little bit more. Not as open. Was it dark at all to you, these chapters, Steve? Uh, well, the the oil on the on the hand on the balcony was pretty dark. Um, other than that, not too bad. I mean, by this series standards, anyway, wasn't wasn't too bad. I remember the part. <clears throat> I think I came in dreaming of when Sagwash gets sacked, and it's talking about how like. Parents were just throwing their kids off the walls or slitting their throats. Yeah. Right before they go to war, they just have to kill all their kids so they're not at the mercy of the shrink because whatever they do would be worse. Yeah. What I remember from that sequence is the dragon. Raccoon. Yeah. The, uh, is he, I think. Is he in like one of the, yeah, I think they even, he gets mentioned by a name, but I forgot the name, but this is like huge dragon sort of in front of, just sort of in the air, suspended midair in front of uh, uh, Siswath, I think. Thought it was pretty cool. And then we got rumors of a living dragon and said black halls. And that's why everyone dies, but Sorrel doesn't seem to think so. Yeah, and the uh, the cleric seems to think that he remembers the way. <laughs> because I don't, I don't know if I would be as as brave. As... Uh oh. Oh, we lost uh, Katarina. There was two Katarinas here for a second. Well, I, I guess that, that was my uh, my one soul, one soul, two bodies. Yeah, <laughs> or two bodies, one soul, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess my there's something wrong with my Wi-Fi. Uh, you were talking else? about the black halls and the dragon cleric that... cleric's memory going into them. You wouldn't trust it. Yeah, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't wouldn't uh, trust that he remembers the way through um, some kind of a complex after having having not been there for like two thousand years or something. <laughs> that and killing wives just gets all mixed in, and you forget what's happened. You know, between killing wives and remembering directions, I, I, I you know. I, I have a guess about which one is more memorable. 
<laughs> we'll find out. Drama. We'll see how traumatic his being a prisoner of his cousins was. Maybe if it's traumatic enough, he'll remember. Yeah, well, we'll have to hope. It doesn't seem like uh, they have any other option. Anyway, um, and Akamian does not have time to waste. Although I'm like, I will say one thing. I'm I'm not like they make this big deal out of uh, avoiding crossing the three seas. It, I mean, like the three seas big enough. I'm sure like no like no one would notice a company of like couple of what it how many are they like 30 sculpers and one old guy i'm sure they could you know they could just get around unnoticed i don't know if there's a if there's actually any need to go around the mountains and then well that's just like one of my little complaint i think he's probably afraid of callus somehow finding finding out that he's there or he's in the area yeah but i mean kellett's not in the three c's like he's already left with the ordeal and the ordeal like the ordeal will be marching in front of them but as far as geographically he's closer to kellett than he's been in a long time ago kellett is in the north he's in the north before there was thousands of miles between them and now he has to look at Mimara and think about Esmed all the time probably some of those skin spies think of Esmed when they see Mimara mm. who knows but they do say that their resemblance is uncanny and if she thinks that she gets caught by them she would end up in her same old position being an image of her mother in a brothel. Yeah, the, the, the scalper's intentions were pretty clear. Which, like, for me, maybe that's the, like, darkest part of this book so far. Mm -hmm. Like, learning about Maimara's history and how predatory the world that she moves around is. Um, that's sometimes that I think that can be a bit difficult to read, read about. Yeah. The, the dead children are fine. <laughs> no big deal. No, I don't yeah. care. No. <laughs> the Camion seems to think Mamara is, is like a two better better to be us than that is broken she seems more aggressive or what like i'm trying to find the right words to describe her like i guess as minute at least when we meet her in in the very first book she seems sort of at peace with what she is like she just accepts whatever hand the world has dealt to her 
whereas my Mara always seems to be still searching. Yeah, she, like she's she like she's not giving up, giving up. She's 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 always looking for something more than the nothing she has currently. She thinks that learning magic is going to fill all the voids in her. Well, I mean, we've already met other characters who think that doing one thing is going to solve or all their lifelong problems. <laughs> Usually doesn't it's work true. out too well. Yeah. Almost every character in this book seems to yeah. pop, they can solve some problems somehow, fill some void. And so they shove somebody else's eyeballs into their own and it just doesn't <laughs> work out. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, that was a great scene. Uh, maybe not the word I would use, but yeah. no, I know what you mean. Memorable. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I, I would much. I would be very happy to erase it from my memory. <laughs> Anything else uh, either you can think of? In these four chapters we did have uh Esamet and Nathanet kind of debating whether Yatwar was real and Nathanet seemed to say that he wasn't willing to write off the idea all the way then they got interrupted breaking bones olive oil and children yeah I mean, you have to feel bad for Esmanet. Like she, she basically she lost the only child who ever probably cared about her, or like genuinely loved her, and was not like a psychopathic maniac at the same time. There was a part when. She hugged Kel, and for some reason she like got reminded of food or something, and it was right <laughs> after because of, of the olive oil. I just yeah. assumed. Oh, Otherwise, I, I they wouldn't have used, used like a food smelling description. She didn't connect it, but she is like she said something about it smelling like a cooking pot or something. Or something. Oh. I, I missed that completely. I'll I'll have to go back and reread it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it was strange that they were referring to food, but I didn't catch on about the olive oil. It's I missed that. No, I'm trying to think, but I think we went through everything. Um, I think for me, the most interesting part of it is probably what we learn about the yachtware and and the cult, and kind of how it seems to be like the sort of the philosophy of of that particular faith seems to be so much in contrast of the philosophy of the people we met in the first series you know like the whole, the whole of war, the whole the entire holy war was all about like people taking or trying to you know, get as much power or wealth 
whatever control whereas the outwear seems to be all about like giving giving freely and not expecting anything in return and sort of sheltering all the all those who are helpless and helpless and have nothing have no agency um so i just find it to be like an interesting contrast to how i usually think about the world of erwa and sort of like the over like the uh overwhelming um like philosophy that most people seem to follow in 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 that world yeah i've heard other people talk about like them not really showing the religious aspect like real actual religious devotion but with pets with the yeah whereas it seems to be actual religious devotion coming from like the poorest people mm-hmm. there's the scene where patsuma she is sitting there begging and she's got her little like bucket or whatever it is she decides she's going to leave and she pulls an onion out of the bucket turns the bucket over drops all the money on the ground and then just walks off cuz she talks about how other priestesses would have took the money but she doesn't need those things she's an actual priestess of yatwer the other ones are all frauds everyone is a fraud except her <laughs> yeah and i think you could also say that people have like people believe at least in in the aspect emperor series they believe in kellis like there is genuine faith and devotion that people feel for him for the aspect emperor or the prophet that you know that he represent that he seems to be to them um because we got so that it's scene like, where he was like flying above them when they all started chanting the same words and it's all the different faiths like chanting to kellis as he floats over them yeah i mean it's like of course like it's deception on his part but then i think that is like the purest belief that we get purest faith that we get in the series i'm trying to think if there's anything else we miss the yet we believe in the outside the same as the enrique do the same as all the other religions do they refer to the outside when they're talking about mm. when they uncovered that place they were where all the urns are it's where all their sisters are awaiting to return to the outside together yes i still don't really understand what the outside is is it another arc well in the first series it talks about how the ark came to this earth cuz they were those people were fleeing the outside what it, it is, makes it even more confusing <laughs> no but yeah i don't i think the the ark exists in this world meaning not the outside so hmm. but i mean who knows i we'll see we'll see it will all become more clear probably 
Not ever crystal, not ever crystal clear, but definitely more clear. Okay. Yeah. That was there was another funny moment where Sir Wheel and and um, his slave they were like sleeping in the in their tent, and then someone like some like soldier came and it was like just took a dump right behind their tent. I thought yeah. that was pretty funny. They did too. They both thought it was hilarious. Yes. You know the farting noises. Yeah. But I mean, don't they have latrines? It seems strange that someone would just randomly decide to um, do it. Do do you know? I'm trying to think of some like nice synonyms. Defecate. Um, Thank you. That's that's very. That sounds very um, educated. Um. <laughs> no, just we've uh, through this whole process, we've been trying to find ways to describe certain things, like coupling, and there's a few other ones. So good to get creative once in a while. I've been walking yeah. in Vegas and seen it on the sidewalk. So there's people in this world that don't wait for latrines; they just go when they need to go. Yeah. Not even on a march, they just do it. Yeah. That's, I have one really dark memory from visiting Hollywood when I was a kid. And we were mm. like on a tour bus, and I looked out, and the Hollywood sign was in the background, and, and there was a homeless guy that had his pants all the way down, and he was like, he would go all the way up, and he would jump into the air, and then he would like squat all the way down, and then he would go up and jump in the air and squat all the way down. It's like the weirdest thing I ever seen, but <laughs> there there's just shit in the sidewalk. Right on the end. With the with the Hollywood sign in the background. It was the last time I went to Hollywood. <laughs> oh my God. Um I mean that it's if, if, if I remember correctly, it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty long climb to get to the sign. Yeah, we, we were like right in the middle of a crappy city. That city is not good. They showed like Madonna's house. And it was like a two million dollar house. It looked like the smallest, most ghetto house in my town. <laughs> like point ten acres, two million dollars. Talk about location. Yeah. Yeah. There's homeless people in the streets all over, but it's still all about location because they did have like a Versace store like a block away. So priorities. It's a confusing place. <laughs> but is. even in this world, people will do bad things in the middle of the street or other people walk right by. So in the middle of a great ordeal march, who knows? I guess they're lucky that you didn't come in their tent and do it. All bets are yeah, off. I suppose you're right. I, I I guess I would just expect expect more discipline from, you know, the, the soldiers of of the Great Ordeal. Mm-hmm. But I guess there will still be uh, ex- exceptions and anomalies. I mean, there's only there's only that many people that you can control. Um, even if you proclaim yourself to be a son of God and prophet and the sorcerer supreme of 
the whatever school. Well, I don't even know if Gallus is in school. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Of all the schools. Of all the people. Of all the religions. He's just the leader. Yeah. He's the Ubermensch. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, next week will be chapters... What did we finish off on? Eight? So nine through... 14? Maybe. 9 through 13. Through 13, right? Yeah, through 13. Yeah, through 13. Well, it should be around 100 pages. I don't know. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Another, every every week, I think, I don't know, there's a whole lot to talk about, and then we just... <laughs> I was we expecting talk, to be done 40 minutes in, and here we are, double that. Here we are talking about defecating near the Hollywood sign in Hollywood. So. My childhood traumas. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, so, Daniel, if someone wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place to find you? You can just comment in this video or come find me on page two somewhere, which is seem to have been getting busier and busier as, mm -hmm. as the days go on. So congratulations, Steve. Yeah. I can't even keep up with it anymore. It moves so fast. Oh, good. That's good to hear. <laughs> and uh, Katerina, where is the best place to, for people to find you and uh, criticize your Instagram handle? <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on Instagram at the errand, which might be changing soon, <laughs> depending, uh, depending on how I feel about... Uh, the seventh Melazen book once once I finally get to it. And I'm also on the page chewing forum. So you can find me there and um, have a chat with me about these books or any other books. Cool. Another another fun uh, fun few chapters. <laughs> fun conversation as always. So uh, we'll see everyone next week.